And then I hung up the phone and I was like, how the fuck am I going to get to Sweden? Welcome back to Gamble's Green Room. I'm your host, Mike Gamble, bringing you the people you need to know with the stories you want to hear. Today, I'm joined by my good friend. This dude is a international dancer. Uh, he's danced in Germany. He's danced in Sweden. He was with the Gothenburg Dance, Gothenburg Opera Dance Company. Uh, he trained at Juilliard. He trained with Alvin Ailey. He also danced with Luna Negra Dance Company. He's then started his own project in New York that we're going to get into called Move NYC, bringing the bringing the youth of tomorrow into the into the industry. He's also now one of the creative directors of a company that is now back in full action again. Dude, this this little mofo right here done did it all. You're going to learn about him today. Please give it up for my homie, Mr. Nigel Campbell in the house. Oh, Mike, it's good to see you, brother. It's you too, love. To Look at that again. smiling yes. face. <laughs> How you been, Nigel? I've been up, down, sideways, in between, over, under, and back again. Um, but I'm good. <laughs> that that sounds about how life actually goes. <laughs> yeah. It's been a crazy couple of years. I mean, pandemic, yes, and then just life in general. Kind of got real crazy when I left Gothenburg. So it's, it's wonderful. But um, yeah. How long have you been gone now? Five years? Seven years. What? <laughs> Stop. Yeah. You are, you are, no. I left in, well, I guess it would be six and a half. Um, so going into, um, I left in 2015. And we're. What? Into 2022. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. Good to see you. <laughs> you too, right? Time flies. How crazy is that? Yo, has it really been that long, dude? It's pretty wild. Okay, so before we get to where we are in 2021, going to 2022, and you leaving Gothenburg in 2015, let's start back at the top. Mm. You from the you from the Bronx? I am from the Bronx, New York. That's right. How'd you, how's, how's it growing up in the, in the, in the boogie down Bronx? In the boogie down. Um, you know what? I, I loved where I, I love where I'm from. Um, I was raised by my mom, um, me and my sister, uh, in a place called co-op city in the Bronx, which was a lovely place. Um, it was a bit isolated, so it was a little bit far away from everything. So that would be my one complaint about it. Um, but it was beautiful. And I actually spent um, the majority of my time in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother's from Brooklyn. My mother's, I know, it's like, it's weird. <laughs> um, my mother's family's from Brooklyn, and we went to church in Brooklyn. Okay. So, so you're a church I, boy. I was, <laughs> there was a time when, uh, and we really went to church. We didn't just go to church on Sunday. We would go like every day because we had 
Sons of David on Tuesday and Daughters of Ruth on Thursday and Wednesday Night Watch on Wednesday. And Saturday, I would usually go in for, um, I got introduced to dance through that church. Mm -hmm. And so Fridays and Saturdays, I would have dance lessons and it was also in Brooklyn. And then Sunday was church, of course. So I feel, you know, I kind of feel like culturally, you know, all of my friends and um, where I spent a lot of time, like really shaping who I am and who I was going to be happened in Brooklyn. But I always um, came home to the Bronx. Um, and so, yeah. For those of you that don't know, Brooklyn and the Bronx are like the completely opposite sides of New York. Yeah. So actually, I was talking to Waldine a while ago. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he was saying that he used to do because he's from Brooklyn, that he used to do the opposite. He would go up to school and like mm-hmm. an hour and do it. Y'all was y'all was commuting yeah. on them trains. New Yorker, yeah, people were tra- and the kids from Staten Island, it, they had to take Ooh. a bus, a plane, a, a boat literally, <laughs> um, to get to school. And and to top it off, I lived in the Bronx. I went to school in Manhattan and I danced and went to church in Brooklyn. So I was all over the place. You from New York. You from New York. Right. So the dance that you were doing that you got introduced to at church, was it praise dancing or was it uh how could I say this? Uh for those that don't know, praise dancing is a form of uh dance that happens in church that goes along with the, uh a lot of the uh spiritual songs that are sang. So my question is was it was it uh praise dancing or was it like jazz or hip hop or modern, mm-hmm. like a dance class that you were right. introduced to by the church. Right. So what, what happened first was that at my church, which was St. Paul's community Baptist church, every summer we did a musical about the transatlantic slave trade and <laughs> about like displaced Africans in the United States. And it's called the Ma'afa, which is a Swahili word for great suffering, great calamity or suffering. And So I did that musical um, every year. But the first year that I did it, the choreographer of the musical, his name is Jamel Gaines, he had a dance studio called Mm -hmm. Creative Outlet Dance Theater of Brooklyn. So I did the musical with my church over the summer. And then in that fall, when it became time to start fall classes for things, a lot of my friends that I had made over that summer were in his dance studio. They went to his mm-hmm. dance studio. So I, so then I then wanted to go to the dance studio after having worked with him over the summer. And so that was like a serious training studio. Uh, we did ballet and modern and jazz and all of the, and West African, um, all of the things. And they helped prepare me to get into LaGuardia Arts High School, which is the fame school. Okay. So that was kind of the beginning of my like, Training, I would say. Yeah. How old were you when you started? I started when I was um, like 12. So I was late. I was really late. Yo, what is up with you all? Dean started when he was like 13 and y'all. I'm going to say y'all bitches. (laughs) (laughs) Went to like, got into all these damn schools and like scholarships and shit. Yeah, I was, I was definitely late. I mean, I was earlier than Waldine. And so luckily, <laughs> luckily I was in junior high school. So they were able to prepare me to get into 
the arts high schools, mm-hmm. but I was really bad and nobody thought that I was going to get in because I had no training. I was really short. I was chubby. I had no flexibility. So they were basically like, I don't know. But some, <laughs> you know they're like, I don't know. They actually told me, my teacher actually was like, you should audition for drama. <laughs> That's what he said to me. Um, and I did audition for drama and I got it for both. So there's hey. that. Um, and I, I don't know. I just, I had passion and I guess they saw, I was musical. I was mm. always very musical. Um, I was always very passionate about dancing. So I guess they saw something in there that they could work with. Um, but Waldine and I actually trained together at the early school. What? And yes, yes. So I we grew up together. Nice. I was actually mm-hmm. going to come to that when we came to Gothenburg. But so y'all did know each other uh, growing up. We sure did. Running that's around crazy. these streets in New York together. And that's crazy. And I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but it's crazy because when you left is when he came. Yeah. To, there was a little there was a little bit of an overlap. No, uh, it but, was I left and he replaced me. <laughs> <laughs> Which I was like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> and he's still here. Yes, he is. I actually came home a few weeks ago, months ago. Yeah. And I saw him very briefly, very briefly. Nice. Okay, so you also then went to the fame high school, LaGuardia High School of the Performing Arts. I did. Uh, what was the, what was your experience like there? Seeing that, um, seeing, <laughs> seeing that everybody thought you weren't going to get in, but you got into two different programs. So what's up, people? How you doing? Right. <laughs> so I was definitely the underdog when I got there. <laughs> um. <laughs> No, you know, um, I had a really great experience at LaGuardia um, and kind of my cycle of life. This will come up again and again as we go mm-hmm. through like kind of my story. Um, I got there and I was the underdog. I mean, I, you know, I, and I one thing that's important is that my best friend, Chanel Da Silva, who's also now my partner, mm-hmm. uh, co-founder of Move NYC. She also went to that church. She also went to that dance studio and we both got into LaGuardia and we were in the same class. So we have been best friends since we were 10 years old and we're now still best friends and business partners. Um, So I say that to say that we were the underdogs. (laughs) 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 And what I realized when I got to LaGuardia was that dancing was more than fun, Um, that there was a craft. Mm-hmm. that it was a legitimate career option for me, um, that it was something that I could dedicate my life to. And I kind of immediately did that. I recognized that I was not, that I didn't have as much information as everybody else, but I was really tenacious and really hungry and really ambitious. And so when I kind of like walked into that door and started doing this dance thing, I went full force and I just tried to make up for as much lost time as I could. And I trained everywhere that I could. I, I went to my local studio. I went to LaGuardia. I went to the early school. I went to a ballet school. I did multiple summer intensives every summer. Um, I just grabbed every opportunity that I could. And the one thing that I really loved about dancing more than anything else, or what intrigued me about dancing, 
was that it was so hard and I wasn't naturally good at it. And so the reason why I kind of keep coming back to dance even now is because I never figured it out. Like, you know, I always feel like there's more for me to learn and to grasp. So somehow, but from freshman year um, to senior year, I had worked my ass off and um, ended up being at the top of my class. Um, Get it. Yes. And it wasn't until senior year that I realized because I started winning awards and <laughs> being recognized and like everybody kept like telling me that I was good. And I was like, am I good? <laughs> I wasn't good before, but now it seems like maybe I'm really good. I don't know. <laughs> You're telling, I guess, I guess I got to trust you. I'm really good. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it, it was really interesting as well is that, uh, you said, you know, you never really figured out dance. And so you keep, you keep working on it. And it's something that I've realized teaching in Sweden for so long is that a lot of people who are in school have this thought process that once you're done with school, now I've made it. And it's like, no, boo, this is just the start. This is just the beginning of you developing your craft. Only thing these teachers have done is hopefully instill these tools for you to learn how to develop and create your craft and develop your craft but you still have work to do. Like you have to take classes, you have to train, you have to seek out different people in order Mm -hmm. to do it. But so many people have this ideology, even, even, even like the top dancers in class that come into the school being the top dancer, they're like, Oh, look at me. I'm like, you you look at the movie center stage, horrible movie, Uh but I love it. (laughs) But there's, there's, there's this whole thing about, where you actually, where you think you are in your head and where you actually are in your body and in terms of the industry that you have to keep going and developing. Oh, yeah. I had a teacher um, at Juilliard and everybody was, every year, every year, the senior class freaks out because like, I got to get a job. I got to get a job. I got to get a job. And she said something that like hit me in a different way, which is really what you're saying. She was like, graduation isn't an end. It's not like the end of your life. If you don't have it all, figured out by May, whatever, life will go on. You can still make it. You can still be a dancer. There's more to learn. And it shifted things for me because, you know, a lot of times out of school, it's like, I got to get the dream job. I got to get the dream Mm job. And you know what? I wasn't ready for the dream job, you know, or or whatever that thing was um, at the time. And you you, you go to places that teach you things and, and that, um, that continue to cultivate you and nurture you and make you better. And that's exactly where you need to be. But you only it only works if you keep going in with the idea that there's more information to get and more information to get. And then maybe one day, I don't know, when you die, maybe you'll have it all figured out or maybe not. Probably nope. not. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Right. Not at all. So when... Uh... So after LaGuardia, did you go, did you apply directly to Juilliard or did you? I did. Yeah. Some so more experience. Okay. No. So, so after LaGuardia or in my senior year at LaGuardia, that was one of the things that happened. I started winning all these things. People told me really good. And then I got into Juilliard. It was like, stop. okay, I love, stop. I love the fact that you're like, well, you know, People told me I was good and I was winning these things. And I just got into Juilliard. Like, it's some, like it's some nonchalant shit. Like, well, because I, and well, that's what I'm saying. It was like surprising to me because I was still <laughs> in my head 
the underdog. And so I was shocked at, you know, I was, it was like this kind of major affirmation. Mm-hmm. Um, in my, you know, in my head, I'm still thinking the teacher told me to audition for drama. dancing, <laughs> You know, um, so that year, I think, was really pivotal for me in kind of understanding that that I that my artistry had value. And I don't want to place value in external things. But I think that when you're younger, um, you know, when you're a young dancer, there are kind of benchmarks where that kind of affirmation really helps your confidence and changes the way that you walk into the studio every day. Mm-hmm. So senior year of high school for me was that. Uh, was was that where it, it reinforced inside of me that what I had to share had value and that I could walk confidently into spaces without imposter syndrome and feeling like I wasn't supposed to be there or that people were doing me a favor by letting me be there, but that I had something to say. So I auditioned, I got into Juilliard with my best friend, Chanel, from church um, wow. which was crazy because Juilliard takes 24 dancers from the world a year. So that me and my ratchet friend from Brooklyn <laughs> both in, was, was really special. Um, and got to Juilliard and was again, the underdog. So by senior year, I thought that I was the shit. I was like, clearly I must be amazing because everybody can say I was amazing. <laughs> I got to Juilliard and they burst that bubble so quickly. It was like, <laughs> oh, I got it in spite of being a horrible dancer. Thank you. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it wasn't quite that, but I, you know, every time you level up, it's a different, you got to bring it at a different level. Yeah. And I was simply in this space with these dancers who had been training in ballet since they were three years old and they had the legs and the feet and, you know, all this stuff that I just didn't have. Um, I, again, I was passionate. Mm-hmm. I was hungry. I was smart. Um, I was musical and, and I, and I was a storyteller, but I learned that I was very, again, very far behind technically. And what I had, again, was my best friend, Chanel. Mm-hmm. So we were in there together. And I had that New York grit. Yeah, I consciously, I remember, I was like, what I'm not going to do is get lost in a sea of talent here. Mm-hmm. So I need to get my shit together and do whatever I need to do to level up. Um, and, and I had already done that in high school. So I knew what that work meant mm-hmm. and I was never afraid of that work. Nice. And, you know, uh, you said a beautiful thing again about what you lacked in technique you had in being a storyteller and being musical. And I, I've said this for years in my mm-hmm. artistry of teaching to my students. I don't care if your leg goes 190 degrees over your leg. If you don't have passion and you don't tell me a story with why your leg is doing that, I don't want to see it. I'm also not a super technical dancer. I've never been, I came way back after everybody else did into the dance game. But, Mm. but uh, the, what people see is that drive, that passion, that love for that Mm -hmm. craft. And it, and it, I don't want to say it blows away the technique, 
but it it certainly fills that gap where you know you see you see a lot of prima, prima uh, I was gonna say prima donnas prima ballerinas also, also. <laughs> Freudian slip. You, right. see of, <laughs> you see a lot of prima ballerinas where they are beautifully, te- they're beautiful technically, but you're like, mm-hmm. it was, it was nice, but, right. and then you, and then you see the court of ballet dance. You're like, who is that? Where right. is that dance? What they should be moved up. And, and, and it means we we're never taught that growing up mm-hmm. dancing, that that yeah. fire and that passion actually is worth something. But the yeah. fact that we have it for ourselves as our driving, our, mm-hmm. our uh, catalyst mm. or our passion to, to, as you said, level up ourselves. Yo, it's something yeah. that you can't teach, but it's something no. that people need to understand that yeah. it's the whole package that makes you you. Yeah. yeah, because you can teach all the other stuff, you know, yes. and I think that that was the, the chance that they took on me. You know, mm. we can clean up this technique. We can tell them to stretch at home. You know, we can work on all of that. But if you have that thing that makes me want to watch you, that is not, that's more rare. You know what I mean? Right. And that's, and that's when I, uh, yo, thank you. Uh, I try and tell people that so much as, even as a choreographer, it's easier for me. And I tell my students all the time, it's easier for me to tell someone to give me less than it is always mm-hmm. for me to say, oh. I need more. I need right. more. Nobody I need to be pulling it out of you. This is what you say that you want to do. I haven't with my kids too, especially with this thing. Yeah, yeah, with know? the phone. Yes. With the phone. Because I'm like, do y'all interact with other humans? No. There's no, they don't. There, there is, and that's the other thing. There is no humanography left to it. There's no sense of being relatable, having yeah. a connection. It's someone or something. Yeah. It's a real thing. I know you see it too. I I see it too. And my kids are really phenomenal. Really. They have all of the technique and facility that I never had, (laughs) but that is the biggest thing that we're trying to work with them on. It's like, where is your humanity? It's not about the 10 second Instagram clip of you doing eight turns. Like, are you an artist? Are you a storyteller? Where is your, why do I care outside of the 10 second clip? You know? Yeah. Thank Thank you. Thank you. And if, for those of you that are tuning into this episode, if you've tuned into any others, or if you haven't tuned to any others, as you know, for those that have listened, this is a recurring thing, recurring Mm. theme that comes through naturally about being authentic and true to yourself whether Mm. it's your artistry or your personality in general, Mm. why are you being, why are you doing the things that you're doing? What makes you want to do them? And Mm. once you settle into who you are, then everything else comes naturally for you that way. So go back into, as Nigel was saying, the humanity of it. What what makes you want to do eight turns in that 10 second clip? Is it to show off or is it because you're an artist and you've worked your way up there? And at the mm-hmm. same time that you're doing these eight turns, what's happening in those eight turns? Right. You know, right. Uh, comically, Roderick, uh, I, I talked to Roderick before as well. And one of the eight turns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> in, that, in that clip, he does eight and then opens up at the end. And I'm like, bitch. But yeah. it's not just eight. You're, 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 you go, how many? He's thrilling. Yeah. And it's but but there's something there yeah. that it's not just yeah turns great. You literally go, 
rewind that. Because mm. it's just, it's passion. It's when you're yeah. in it to win it, that's where that level up comes from. And it's like mm-hmm. a video game. Each time you level up, it gets harder and harder. So you got to bring exactly. your next game up. It's about experiences, y'all. Beautiful. That's so real. Everything you just said. Okay, so enough about me. Back to you. (laughs) Now we are Juilliard with with, uh, Chanel. Uh Uh-huh. And you're the underdog again. You had your your mental bubble burst from senior year at uh, Fame LaGuardia. What, What was it like working up to that next level throughout Juilliard, especially having your best friend with you. Cause that's another thing when you have someone to go through that with you makes a difference. That, that made all the difference. Uh, I have to say that that is really um, what we motivated each other. We pushed each other um, to, and, and we helped each other get through the hard moments. So it didn't feel so isolating. Um, I'll say some of the things I learned to do, well, one, it was the first time that I was in a homogenous environment um, coming from New York City, which was just always so diverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and LaGuardia, I think, uh, was the most diverse place I've ever been. Um, so that was my upbringing. And then I got to Juilliard and was suddenly very aware of my blackness mm-hmm. and not in the, in, I had always been aware of my blackness. But it was the first time that I was aware of my blackness in proximity to whiteness and what that meant to other people. Yes. Um, So it was the first time that, you know, the makeup teacher told me that I was so dark. She didn't know what to do with me. The costume person told me not to wear black on stage because it would blend in with my skin and no one would see it. Um, It was things like that. Seeing, seeing the types of, Black people who were getting into Juilliard and the the archetypes and yeah. the skin color and the hair texture and you know see just noticing some patterns there um, that was one of the major uh, lessons for me um, the dancing you know I worked really hard I had great friends it was tough but I grew up training in East New York in Brooklyn mm-hmm. and our teachers threw chairs at us and physically hit us and cursed us out. And while that is not great, I guess, and it's certainly not something that, you know, can live on, but they prepared me. You know, I, there was nothing that the teachers at Juilliard could do mm. that would break me because I had experienced that like old school, tough mm. love thing. Um, and so when they told me my pinky was off, then I just fixed my pinky. I didn't have a nervous breakdown about it. Um, so I worked really hard and I had a really great time there. Again, I, for me, the bigger takeaway was really learning about racial dynamics Mm -hmm. and in a weird way, as messed up as it was, and it was messed up. And I like stayed out of the sun for years because I was afraid of getting darker because I was traumatized. Mm -hmm. Um, Ironically, when you think of a school and it's supposed to train you for the world, it actually did prepare me to navigate a world where I would deal with those racial dynamics for my entire life. Mm -hmm. And so as messed up as it is, it did prepare me because then I moved to Germany and then I moved to Sweden 
And, you know, <laughs> all of the same racial bullshit was there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so my time at Juilliard was good. I, I danced a lot. Um, I became better. I broadened my idea of where my, so if LaGuardia, if, if I started with just this love of dance at the church, and then LaGuardia taught me that dance could be a profession and a career, mm-hmm. Juilliard yeah. opened my mind to what, to an international perspective and scope mm-hmm. that you can do this on an international scale. The world is so much bigger than you ever imagined. And it's not out of reach for you. So that's what that really did, that time in my life. Nice. So uh, get to senior year at Juilliard. Mm-hmm. Um, my then director, I, I wanted to go audition in Europe. Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't know much about Europe because I'm just, you know, just, I'd never been to Europe. Um, <laughs> so our director, you know, where should I go? We had winter break. And... He said to me, um, you know, the companies in Europe are more technically and linearly driven. So, you know, technique is important and, and lines and, you know, you're short and the men are generally taller in Europe. And I don't know, you're just so American. Maybe you shouldn't waste so much time and money going all the way over there. Oh, wow. Join. Alvin Ailey or Philodanko or Garth Hagen. Fuck off! Fuck yeah. off! The, that was the, a real uh, thing. Who? That was a real thing that happened. And it was like, wow. Um, and no shade to those companies. Those are all phenomenal companies that I think are wonderful. But it didn't, it wasn't lost on me that he just told me not to even try to go to Europe. And the only thing that he felt was accessible to me were companies that were predominantly African-American. So that was like mind blowing. And then because I'm so stubborn, I was like, okay, well now I'm getting a job in Europe. (laughs) I'm going to show you. And I'm going to show you how we do. Right. Right. I'll show you what Europe do. And um, lo and behold, I ended up being the only dancer in my class who got a job in Europe that year. Stranger. And that, you know, success is the best revenge. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to say anything or do anything. I just loved walking to his office and saying, I just got this job. Yeah. <laughs> the, the reason why I screamed out fuck off so loud was, I believe it was Roderick that said he was told the same thing. Oh, yeah. That, like, don't waste your time. You're too this, you're too that. Just go, you know what? And literally... Danko and Ailey were the two that were referring. It was like, it's all these white teachers out here placing limitations on their own students because of their um, inability to see our potential. Their archaic ideologies. It's dangerous. Because what if I didn't go? Maybe I would have had a a wonderful career, but I certainly wouldn't have the life that I have. Right. And the majority of my, well, not now because I've been home for seven years, but a large chunk <laughs> of my performing career yeah. happened in Europe. And it set the stage for who I am as an artist, as a director, as an educator. My whole life would have been different. And the real problem with these teachers is you can believe what you want to believe. But when you tell someone not to even try because of your limited yep. um, perspective, then we have a problem. Yes. And as you said, 
And I'm pretty sure it's it's a black culture thing because every single one of us goes, oh, really? Watch me. Because <laughs> <laughs> Watch me. Period. Right, right. <laughs> I didn't even want to dance in Europe before. I was just so, I was like, well, now I'm dancing in Europe. For real, because it's like, oh, you told me I couldn't. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm going to do it anyway. Because right. I actually, I had a lot of friends tell me like, oh, you're not going to do this. You're not going to do that. I was like, really? Mm. Okay. Because right. what am I doing now? Where are you? Hi, how you doing? Like, <laughs> good to see you because I'm doing my thing. You know, and- I learned from that because, you know, I asked him what he thought and he told me what he thought. So I will, yeah. I will say that. That is honestly what he thought. And I learned from that that because um, I believe that he was really trying to protect me from wasting my time. So I, I learned from that that people will often do have your best interest at heart. And that doesn't mean that they aren't dead wrong. But there's also with with that being said, there's also a level of, as I said earlier, life is about experiences. Mm -hmm. And even if it, quote unquote, wasn't worth your time, it is something that you maybe had needed to experience to go. You know what? This is, as they said it was, I just needed to see it for myself. So now with you having move NYC, you'd be like, okay, this is what I experienced because it's not about just that moment in time. It's about what you use, what experience you gain to use yep. in your future experiences as well, to pay it for as your, as an artist, as a performer, as mm-hmm. a teacher, no matter what it is, all of those experiences that we have behind us help propagate us into the future and what it is that we're going to be developing for ourselves. So even Absolutely. if you think it's not something I should be doing, just go, okay, well, as I understand it happening, I wouldn't waste your time. But you know what? Try it out and see. You might be the one that's different. And that's the thing. You never know. Never. You might see. And this is this is a big part of Move. This is why we started Move. I remember seeing those companies and there were no brown faces in the roster. And so it, you do feeling that they don't want me or they're not looking for me. But you don't know that. You know, Chanel yeah. joined a ballet company and she had barely done any point. And he changed the entire style of his choreography around Chanel. So sometimes you just have to be that bitch. <laughs> For real. You know, like. You have to be that one. So actually, uh, you just triggered what my thought was earlier out of. So when you started, when you started uh, in Brooklyn, you had all these different types of classes at uh, LaGuardia. You you went more into the dance as well. Now you're at Juilliard. How, what, what genre of dance spoke to you the most for you to move forward in your artistry? Was it yeah. the modern? Was it the ballet? Was it that the, yeah. West, the African that you did? You know what I mean? I mean Certainly, you know, it all plays a part in, in who I am and, and who I've become. Um, I, it, when I was younger, I was most drawn to, to modern. Um, it was before the like contemporary boom. So mm-hmm. modern was kind of the thing that I felt closest to. I was a Graham baby. We took Graham every day. Graham I mean, so like literally LaGuardia, we only took Graham. That was the <laughs> modern technique that we took. So I, you know, when I got to Juilliard, some people were just starting Graham. We were already very far ahead in that, um, in, in the vernacular of it. Um, so I loved, I loved modern dance. And then once I got into the field, that's when the contemporary boom happened. 
And I think I really learned during my you know, time as a professional what contemporary dance was. And that is the thing that really spoke to me. When I graduated from Juilliard, I wasn't sure. I hadn't found like my thing. Like, you know, I didn't have a dream job. I didn't know, like, I want to be in this company or I want to work with this choreographer. I, I, I was, I loved dance, but I hadn't found like my heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't until I worked with Gustavo Ramirez Sansano at Luna Negra in Chicago that I felt that I really found my artistic home. My heart. That's what Gustavo, I was talking about. Yeah, Gustavo's work, um, his movement, vocabulary, his language was a place where I really found home mm-hmm. and where I really developed my own artistry. And Gustavo and I are still very close to this day. He is a friend and a mentor, and I still call him boss man. <laughs> um, so he's been a tremendous influence on my artistry as an adult. Mm-hmm. But Luna Negra happened after you went to Europe, right? Yes. So I oh. went to Germany. Mm-hmm. And I had my first job. Um, I danced for a wonderful woman named Marguerite Dahmann in, in Saarbrück in Germany. I was there for two years. It was a wonderful experience. Um, she really, really nurtured me and developed me and gave me confidence and, and gave me the chops that I needed to be a professional. Um, moving to Germany was amazing. I had you know, been in New York my whole life. So learning a new language, learning about new cultures, again, like just constantly expanding my idea of the world and my place in it. So that's what Germany did for me. I was there for two years and then I moved to Chicago. And do, you still, for- do you still speak German? Do you have your German language? Listen, I was just asking. There was no <laughs> B9 man. That's all I know. That's <laughs> That's very good. That's very good. That was what you <laughs> um, so yeah, I didn't learn German while I was there, though. So after two years, you went to Chicago, and then I went from Germany to Chicago. I was there for three years, dancing with Gustavo, which was wonderful. Um, and then the company folded. Oh no! Oh, yeah, from like one day to the next, we just didn't have a job anymore. Um, literally walked into work and they were like, we're, they were like, we're going on an extended hiatus indefinitely. And we were like effective immediately. We were like, sounds like, (laughs) wait, 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 wait. let's, let's, let's rewind that for a second. We're going on an extended hiatus indefinitely effective Effective immediately. immediately. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, that's, so that's some cold so work. Fired. I don't have a job. Is that, is that just, <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm triggered. <laughs> so, so hold a backup. So while you were, <laughs> so while you're for the three years you were at Luna Negra, what was, you said, uh, Gustavo helped you find, uh, realize your artistry. What was the work like? What was that three years like in Chicago? Yeah, Gustavo's Spanish, like from Spain. Mm-hmm. And his career was, he danced for Netherlands Dance Theater um, in Hubbard Street. He came from a classical background, but his work was super contemporary. It, for me, felt like a mix of, like, contemporary dance, hip-hop, 
with Latin flavor and a little bit of Gaga. It was like, I don't know. It was all of that stuff for me. Um, and it was hyper musical. So like this was at this, you know, and I had been saying like all this time, you know, that had been one of my strengths. And then I found this choreographer whose movement literally would sing the music and not just in like a ding dong ding kind of way, but it was so nuanced and so intricate that he would make you hear parts of the music that you never even heard before. Lovely. And so we were vibing because I was, I was hearing, you know, I was right there with him. I was like, Ooh, and he was like, yeah. <laughs> so we were, you know, we, we had that report. It was super um, virtuosic in its speed. It was very fast. And I, in my younger days was like a spitfire. I was like down, up, turn, jump, roll on the floor. Bah. <laughs> um, so, so this, um, the rigor of it really, I was drawn to, um, I was drawn to the speed. I was drawn to the musicality. He had incredible partnering. Like he would do things that it was like, how did he think to do that? But also it makes so much sense. Like nothing else could have worked in that moment. So it was just really innovative. And then he also created his own um, technique that he called Tito Yaya. And like Graham, the technique came from the work. So mm -hmm. he built a technique so that he could train us in how to do his work. Love and it. that technique is what I teach today still for my Ooh. contemporary class. So I've watched it, it transformed me. And now I use it to transform um, my students when I teach. And, and it's wonderful. So I got so much from that because um, that's literally the class that I teach now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so, so on top of loving the work, he actually taught me how to be a contemporary dancer through the technique classes that we took every day. And that is what I really feel like prepared me to be ready for Gothenburg. And just so people know, when he said it's a bit of Gaga, he's not talking about Lady Gaga. There's actually a dance style <laughs> Gaga. Just so no, it's not a bit of Gaga like Lady Gaga crazy shit. It's actually a dance style <laughs> called Gaga. Just want to clarify. Just want to clear that up for a little bit. So now you are an, <laughs> so now you're on an extended hiatus indefinitely effective immediately. Mm -hmm. How did you was that your catalyst to start looking back at companies in Europe, Sweden or like yeah. how what well, did you panic? Did you do you like okay, now I got a plan. Like what was as luck would have it or the universe, whatever, or God, whatever you believe in. Mm -hmm. um, something had been, I was in my third year with Luna. Something had been telling me, you know, I think you need to put yourself out there. So um, through my first job in Germany and through Luna Negra, I had quite a few connections to Gothenburg. Mm -hmm. um, I worked with Fernando Melo every year that I was at Luna, and he was at the time one of the like resident choreographers for Gothenburg. Mm -hmm. uh, and every time he came to work with us, he brought Stefan Latz, who was the rehearsal director for Gothenburg. And in Germany, I had met a woman named Adolfa Binder because she had a company in Berlin, and she basically she like booked festivals and things. Um, and the company I was in was one of the companies on her roster. And oh. so I met her and got to know her while I was in Germany. 
So by the time I was looking to audition for Gothenburg, I knew the director, the rehearsal director, the resident choreographer. Um, there were like 10 people from Juilliard in the company and um, people from just all, all different parts of my life. Um, so when I got this itch, one of the other things about Luna was that we were poor. Like we made like $400 a week poor. Um, oh, wow. So I had like maxed out all of my credit cards. I had no money <laughs> whatsoever. Um, and I was like, okay, I don't know how sustainable this is. <laughs> um, so I was thinking, you know, okay, I remember the stability that I had in um, Germany mm-hmm. and the structure. And I had this, you know, love affair, artistic love affair with Gustavo and, 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 the, and the working. And so, but, but the infrastructure was a bit wonky. Yeah. And I was like, so now in this stage in my career, now that I've learned what I want, what I don't want, I've found my voice, where's a good place to kind of get the best of all of those worlds? And it seemed like Gothenburg was that place. And so in December, I went there for a week and I did a week-long private audition. Um, and the open audition wasn't until February. So they couldn't tell me anything until after the open audition. So the open audition happened in February. Adolfo called me and offered me the contract for next season. So I would have started that July. Mm-hmm. And then like a week later, Luna folded. And um, I did panic because I had no money. Like I, when I was so broke, I was living paycheck to paycheck. There was no way that I would be able to pay my rent, you know, that month. Right. Let alone get back to New York and find a job. Like I didn't have a cushion. Um, but I called Adolfa and I let her know my situation. And she said, can you start in two weeks? And I said, yes. What? And then I, and then I hung up the phone. And I was like, how the fuck am I going to get to Sweden? In two weeks? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait. <laughs> so Luna folded in March, literally at the end of March, I had started at Gothenburg Opera Dance Company. So, so back up, bitch. How the fuck you get from Chicago being broke to Sweden in two weeks? Yes. So this was crazy. I basically, well, um, I've always, the universe just has always had my back. (laughs) Wonderful people who I met when I was in high school, actually, right before Juilliard. And um, they have supported me throughout my entire life. They actually paid for Juilliard for me. They're my, uh, my guardian angels. Their names are Sid and Lee Black. And so when everything went down at um, Luna, they supported me and offered me the, the cushion that I needed to wow. be able to get myself from to pack up my stuff in Chicago. This all happened in two weeks. Pack three years up in Chicago, move to New York, unpack and repack what I needed to go to Sweden. I had to expedite my passport because it was expired. And then moved to Sweden to start work, but I didn't have a work visa. I didn't have a place to live. I just brought two suitcases because I was going to be moving around a lot. So I got there, like my whole energy was like, just get to Sweden. You got to get to Sweden. And then it wasn't until I got there that I realized, 
you don't have a place to live <laughs> and you don't have a visa and you just got two suitcases. Like, what are you doing? Yo, Nige, my, my brain is like, so how did he get a passport within two weeks? Expedited number one. Number two, he has two suitcases. He ain't talking shit about them giving him a place to live or him knowing people here to live with or any. And the work permit, which you technically can't get while you're here. I guess there was some loophole where you can work for 30 days. Yes. Before you get the work permit. There's something like that. So I was going literally. So and I did have friends here, which I was lucky. So I was every week moving to a different couch, going to work all day, and then going to the immigration office to try to get my visa. I was doing all of that at once. It was crazy. I literally got shingles, which I didn't even know what that was, but it's like the chicken pox's uh, cracked out older cousin. And caused so by stress. My, caused by stress. So my skin broke out in these hives all over as a physical manifestation of the stress that I was under just working there, let alone the unresolved trauma of getting fired from my job uh, from one day to the next, just a few weeks prior to that. Damn. That's that's... a crazy time. And now I'm starting this new job and I literally have welts all over my body. Like it's not a great first impression. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dude. So I must have met you in that December when you came over for the guest week, because that was, was that? Had you met me already then? I don't, I'm not, I don't remember exactly when we met. I know that we met through Roderick. I know we met through Roderick. And the one time I do remember us hanging out was you, (laughs) it was me. You probably don't remember this, but it's me, you and Astrid at uh-huh. uh Tintin the 24 hour diner and you trying to you're so you had a lot of drinks that night <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I have video of this somewhere oh, in my Lord. archives of oh, you dear. you who are you badgering are you badgering Roderick or are you badgering Astrid Astrid and I are just laughing and you can't keep your eyes open and you're just shoving pancakes in your mouth cussing somebody out <laughs> like you you over there, right? I'm talking to you. You ain't gonna listen to me now. See, this that sounds always- about right. That sounds like <laughs> me. Uh, <laughs> that that sounds accurate. <laughs> but then, once you made it here, and everything worked out, you had a great time here in the company. I had a great time in the company. I did. Yes. Yes. So, um, so I was there. I did that premiere. Um, I was in the company for two years. I I was there for that half a season that I came early. And then I did two full seasons in the company and I had a wonderful time in the company. Um, it was, I mean, I still miss like that level of production. Mm -hmm. It's something that you don't really get in the States because we don't have our own theaters. Right. Um, but just the, the, the level of the productions, the the level of the dancers was always one of the, or the, or the, or the state support to the state support, right? To finance all yeah. the projects, right. Um, everybody in the company was just phenomenal. So every day I was inspired by the people I was with as well. Um, I did have, a, I had hiccups. I had a, I had a knee surgery um, in my first this. season. 
and I was out for six months. So that was very difficult for Mm me um, because I was all the way in Sweden, like away from, you know, my people or my culture and my home, not dancing in the darkness of Sweden. So it was kind of, and I couldn't walk. So that was really hard. Um, I came back from that and had a really strong second season, which I was really proud of. Um, But culturally, I was having a difficult time. Um, It was the rising of the migrant crisis. Mm -hmm. It was the Black Lives Matter movement here um, in the States. And I remember just feeling, you know, pulled in a million different directions. Um, Yeah. So it was I was in this weird place where I artistically felt like I was in this amazing place um, doing this amazing work. And that's what I had always dreamed of. But I didn't seem to be fitting culturally. Uh And you know me, I'm like short and loud and black and I have this <laughs> hair and I'm just like screaming down the street. And then everybody is like tall and white and blonde and very quiet and reserved. And like, <laughs> was like, who doesn't belong? <laughs> <laughs> so I always felt that when I was in Sweden and that was ultimately, um, sorry. Cry. <laughs> no, it's all good. That was ultimately why I decided to come home. I wanted to start move with Chanel. Mm-hmm. Chanel came to visit me in Sweden, and we were sitting down at an Irish pub over burgers and beer, which you know for us was like these two kids from Brooklyn and the Bronx are in Sweden at an Irish pub. And <laughs> yeah, you know, like it's like such an unlikely story, um, and we realized that dance had done that for us. That we were there because of our art and all the stories of, you know, don't be a dancer because you'll live out of a cardboard box. Like we were seeing the world and doing what we love. And then we realized at the time that I was the only black person in the company out of 40 dancers. And then we realized that Chanel was the only black person in her company as well. And so then we started to ask ourselves, where are all the black people at? (laughs) Like, what is going on? And why don't more people who come from where we come from have access to the beautiful life that art has given us? And so that was the kind of seed Mm -hmm. that um, was first planted for Move NYC. And we both ended up quitting our jobs and moving back to New York so that we could be a part of readying um, young dancers, in particular of color, for this life in the arts and to make sure that no one could say that they're not ready because we make them ready and having the experiences that we've had in the field and the networks that we have in the field really being able to like i mentioned earlier open their minds already as 15 year olds and 16 year olds that not only a career option but that there is a global possibility for you. You have international possibilities. Don't limit yourself to one thing or one company or one kind of company, but let us expose you to everything that's out there and then get you ready to enter the field in a few years. That without sounding cheesy is fucking beautiful. (laughs) 
because it also goes back to what we were talking about earlier, that all those experiences that you were able to have come back into how you quote unquote pay it forward in whichever way your future artistry develops. And again, had you listened to that teacher or those teachers that told you not to go to Europe, like we just don't know. We just just don't know, but it wouldn't be this. Right. (laughs) Side note, where, what company was Chanel in? She was in the Trey McIntyre project. It was, um, it was, yeah, it was, uh, it was only around for six years. Chanel was there for all six of the years. They had like tremendous success. She was on the cover of Dance Magazine. They were at BAM. They were touring all over the world. And then the director decided he didn't want to direct the company anymore. And that was the end of that. <laughs> Effective immediate. Effective immediately. <laughs> well, they were, she had at least a year. <laughs> it was not like my situation. <laughs> How did, so you decided to, you both decided to move back to New York uh, and create this opportunity for youths of color in New York in the performing arts. How did you come up with the name Move NYC? This is actually really funny because originally we were going to call it the Youth Dance Project. Mm-hmm. And everybody was like, no. <laughs> I don't think that's the name. <laughs> they were actually like, that's a description. It's yeah. not. <laughs> you know, you're just describing what you're doing. You know? <laughs> so we actually um, met with this wonderful woman named Jane Nalen, and she actually did the rebranding for Trey McIntyre Project. So Chanel knew her from Trey McIntyre Project. And we ran the name by her and she said, okay. Um, The opposite of what my teacher did, right? She said, okay, I'm going to give you some branding exercises that I want you to do. And ask the specific questions. We had to create brand personalities, uh, brand, um, what was it? Brand personality, brand values, Uh and brand promise. And so we did these exercises. We had to come up with like five brand values, five brand personalities, and one brand promise, uh, like a sentence. Mm-hmm. And we, we did four sentences. And she said, if by the time you go through that exercise, Youth Dance Project is still the name, then it's the name. If it's not, then let's see what emerges. And some of the things that came up were um, New York City, um, the relevance, diversity, um, freshness, youthfulness. Um, some other things were uh, like the personalities were like, it was very New York, bold, confrontational, a little bit rude, even um, <laughs> edgy, urban. And so when we started looking at all of that and thinking about what it was we were actually doing, we suddenly came up with MOVE and it was an acronym. And I don't remember what the acronym was standing for. But then we were missing the New York Mm -hmm. and that needed to be a part of it. So we ended up settling on move NYC because what we loved about it was that it was almost a command. It was, it had that, you know, it's like move NYC. Yeah. So that speaks to, I think 
our going back to that old school training (laughs) Um, going back to this imperative that the field needs to shift and change of course moving our bodies of course celebrating new york city and going back to this idea that we wanted to pump some some life um something fresh into a city that already has a lot of really wonderful training going on. So, so we wanted to bring all of, like you said, all of the information that we had gathered, bring it back home to New York city and make a love offering, but also make a statement to the field that this is more than just dance, that we all need to move forward. Cause at that time when we were making, that was 2013, you know, the diversity and equity conversation wasn't, it wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> it just, no. Now everybody's talking about it, but at the time, everybody was fine that their companies were completely white and had right. no diversity whatsoever. Nobody was calling them out on it. It was the Black Lives Matter movement, and we really wanted to do something. We were like, what is our contribution going to be? Mm. And so this really was like, we had a vision for, based on our experience, we had a vision for a more inclusive dance field. And we wanted to like stand firmly in that and say, move NYC. So that's where the name came from. Nice. Which is interesting because the way I read it is sort of similar to that. But for me, uh, I didn't read into the command as in move NYC, but I did read into the, you wanted to move New York. You wanted to move the, these these youth you wanted to move into a new era so it works the name works wonderfully it's it's very versatile it's like the gift that keeps on giving we use it for every like because this move is so ubiquitous like it can all of those things um which is why i often think back to youth dance project and you know it's so much bigger than even what we imagined move nyc gave us space for the organization to grow so what type of response has move had in the past seven years <laughs> that's such a weird yeah. number to say i know it's crazy <laughs> um yeah uh 2020 20, january will be year seven for us mm-hmm. um well it's been pretty remarkable um well we've graduated three classes now um 100 of our graduates are attending some of the top colleges and conservatories for dance in the nation. Nice. Um, yeah, including for the last three years in a row, four of the seniors um, going to Juilliard or getting into Juilliard, which is wow. of course Martin Schnell's alma mater. And you know, we had this really beautiful moment where the two of us, these two ratchet kids from <laughs> Brooklyn and the Bronx, were able to get into Juilliard together. And I remember the first year that the four of them got the call, it was just a real full circle moment um, that we really are delivering on our mission and on our promise. Mm -hmm. And soon those young people will be in the field. And in fact, they're starting already now. One just got a job with Jose Limon Dance Company in New York. And one just got a job with Hofe Schechter in London. So in the next couple of years, these little movers will be all over the world. And it's, it's like watching, 
you know, it was not to sound corny, but it was all a dream. Like, you know, like, you know hey, I, I was already corny myself, so it's okay. Right, right. <laughs> we had this idea and they are literally the manifestation of our dream for a better dance field. Um, so that's wonderful. Um, we've grown quite a lot. We started as a three week summer intensive mm-hmm. and now we are, you know, we have six programs um, and that summer intensive is now the core of our programming. It's called the Young Professionals Program, and it's a year round mentorship and college prep program. So we are not the people who are there with them every single day after school doing plays and tondus, but we are the people who are guiding them, introducing them to new ideas and new ways of moving. We're preparing them for college, setting them up with choreographers to do their solos, giving them free headshots, free action shots, free filming of their solos, um, monthly masterclasses with different companies all over New York City. We're doing our first ever international cultural exchange this summer, taking eight of the seniors to Scotland to work with the Scottish Ballet Youth Exchange Program. They've won numerous awards and honors, which are great. We have a presidential scholar in the arts. um, And it's been wonderful. It hasn't been without its hiccups, for sure. Yeah. Um, And we've learned a lot along the way. But I feel good every day knowing that we are doing, like when I look back and I look at what we've done, we're doing exactly what we said we would do. And I feel really proud about that. Again, beautiful is the only word I can come up with with that. Black magic, baby. Black Black magic. That's Black right. is beautiful. Look at that. There it is. That's <laughs> <laughs> And that's our kids need. They need people, you know, all of these teachers who told me those things, they yeah. were white people. You know, mm. I think part of the success of Move is that Chanel and I created the program that we wish we had had when mm. we were that age. You know, you know, the fucked up thing is it's still happening, not as prevalent, prevalently, that's even a word, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, you know, those little nuances are still happening in a lot of these institutions uh, or training studios or schools, whatever you want to call them, where those microaggressions are still happening, where Mm -hmm. dancers Darker, dark, darker skinned dancers are getting thrown mm-hmm. old leotards like, well, this is the best we can do. So you're just going to have to do it. Oh, you're mm-hmm. sticking out too much. Uh, you need to do something with your like, oh, that shit still happens. But it does still happen. And, and you know, part of our training module is to prepare them Ooh. for when that happens so that they have more information and more tools than I did and mm. then Chanel did, you know, back in the day when, when we were in school, it was just like, shut up and just, you know, just, or you'll get blacklisted. Don't say right. anything. Just soak it all in and just, you know, ingest the trauma. Which is, I was going to say, which is also fucking traumatic as hell in more exactly. ways than one. Exactly. So I think kids in general have more tools now just because the world has more tools. Like what was a micro? We didn't know what a microaggression was when it didn't exist. Right. It was just like all we had was that's racist. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a blanket. You're racist. You know, it was like, well, there's a lot of nuances here. Um, (laughs) So I feel empowered that the kids have more tools than we did when we were growing up. 
And, and part of our training module is to really prepare them to be empowered in who they are in a way that we just didn't feel comfortable at when, when we were that age. Yeah. It's, it's so, it's so nice to know that youth and students have people to look up to that can guide them properly, that can foster their minds and their direction Mm -hmm. and give them both. I don't say the positive and the negative, but prepare them for what's ahead of them so that they know this is a real thing and this may Mm -hmm. or may not happen, but you know, when the time comes, this is, these are your tools. Mm -hmm. How many students, because uh, I've heard you say it a couple of times, the seniors, how many students do you, how many students do you take in the program? And is it, do you mean seniors by their seniors in high school or their seniors in your program? The Young Professionals program takes up to 40 dancers in New York City between the ages of 13 to 18. That's a They're lot of not, students, boo. That's what I'm saying. And, that <laughs> takes, and people want us to take more. And we're like, I can't, I can't take anymore. Okay. Um, <laughs> But it's up to 40. This year we have 30. Okay. Um, so it's really dependent on the year and, and what we, you know, what we see. What you see. Uh, yeah. So we don't break it up. Like we don't have to have 10 freshmen, 10 sophomores, 10 juniors. and 10. Like one class might have seven people and one class might have 16 people. Mm-hmm. And they also add in. So like, you know, they can come in at any point. So we might get someone in the eighth grade or the ninth grade. And let's say we have like, five of them. And then sophomore year, we get some incoming sophomores. Okay. So then there's nine. And then junior year, we get another three. So then there's 12. And then our gotcha. cap for the seniors is 16. Um, can't have more than 16 seniors because it's just not possible to effectively do <laughs> the work job. that you need to do. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, so yeah, so that's the number. And then we started a new program this year called the pre-YPP, the pre-young professionals program, where we take up to 10 junior high school dancers in the seventh or eighth grade and help prepare them to get into high school. Mm, sorry, I, I'm an asshole, but PYPP? Michael Jackson, this is PYPP. It was just in my head. I just had to do it. Sorry. It was, it was, it was just burning. I could not let oh, that pass. Oh, it's fine. Go let it out. <laughs> so, uh, but you also do... Uh, with Move NYC, you also do like community type programs where you take them to see shows or ex- like expose them to different, uh, yes. uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Events, things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so all of that is a part of the Young Professionals program. The way that it's structured is that, um, so once they audition and they get in, they get in for one year and mm-hmm. we're with them for a year. And the bulk of that is mentorship and, and, and college prep, right? So in the summer, we have the summer intensive, which is every day in August, Monday through Saturday, 8.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. Intensive Damn. training, dancing, learning choreography, performing, but also leadership seminars, guest panel discussions, career management classes, all of that is a part of the, the, the curriculum. And that's the kind of like jump start for the year to crack them open. Then during the year, month to month, we have four checkpoints per month. So mm-hmm. there's a monthly masterclass. This fall, we had masterclasses with different prominent companies in New York. So they had one masterclass with Gibney Company, one masterclass with um, Complexions, one masterclass with Parsons, 
one masterclass with Kyle Abraham's aim. They also have monthly professional development. So that's either uh, mentorship by group, um, professional development class, um, guest panel discussions, uh, leadership seminar. So every month they have one of those. They also have a peer mentorship program that Chanel and I started last year where we hire recent alumni from the Young Professionals Program who are currently in the top conservatories of dance in the country. And they have one-on-one monthly mentorship check-ins with each of the students. Hmm. Chanel and I also do one-on-one mentorship check-ins with each of the students. And then on top, so that's the base. In February, we also have a one-week winter intensive as well. And then in addition to that, we take them to see shows every month so that they're exposed to the profession and that they see the wide range that it means to be a dancer and start to identify what they love and what they don't love and which direction they want to go. And quite frankly, to see the level to which they aspire, because a lot of them think that they're really good because Mm -hmm. they haven't actually seen professionals. So (laughs) once they see the professionals, they work differently because they know, you know, oh, this is the level that I got to get to. And then the final thing is that they become a performing ensemble, the Young Professionals Ensemble, and they do performances all over the city throughout the year. Beautiful. (laughs) That is so well laid out, so well thought out, so well played out. So beautiful. Like, seriously, Nige, that shit is just beautiful, bro. Thank you so much for doing the work that you do. Thank you. Uh, it took us a few years to figure that out. So, you know, we started the summer intensive. I'd say by year three, we fight, we um, we formalized the Young Professionals program. Nice. So let me ask a let me ask a question. How? Uh, let me see how I can phrase it without getting too nosy. <laughs> mm-hmm. How can people help finance this project? <laughs> Oh, thank you. Well, first of all, I don't know if I left out one of the most important parts, which is that all of this is free. So they don't pay. No, anything. you didn't leave that out. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the, the whole point was when Chanel and I went back that, you know, these financial roadblocks were keeping out talented dancers of color from being able to realize their potential. So our grand experiment was if we eliminate the barrier of cost, will we start to see more diverse young people getting into these top schools because they have access to the resources that they need to get into them. And we've seen that that's true. So this, this is um, a love project. This is a, it it was from the beginning, a grassroots effort. We Mm -hmm. called on our community. Um, We called on partnerships. We called on relationships with people that we knew. Um, In December of 2019, we became our own 501c3 nonprofit. So we are our own organization. Thank you. And that was wonderful. And then three months later, the world shut down. So it was also terrifying um, to, be, <laughs> to be a young nonprofit in the middle of a pandemic. Um, but we never stopped. We kept moving forward. Um, we went virtual like everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, we're back now. And, um, you know, we take Cash App, Venmo, checks. Uh, you can online our website, www.moveNYC.nyc. Um, there's a donate page. And we really made it so that anyone can donate however they want um, in any way that they feel comfortable. We're actually uh, right now in the middle of our 
holiday campaign, but it'll probably be over at that point. But we take we take support all year. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely through our website. Um, you know, if if people feel moved and are, are interested, we're at Move NYC on Instagram and we're Move NYC on Facebook. And yeah, we we love for people to interface and interact in any way that they can or want to. Um, we love relationships. We love partnerships. Um, so yeah, really any way that people feel comfortable giving, uh, it's all there on the website. Nice. Okay, so also when you got back to New York, something else happened on a bigger scale. Mm-hmm. Gibney Dance Company. Yes. Tell me about that. Tell yes. us about that. So I moved back home. I quit my job in Sweden. I had no job, no job prospect, no idea what I was going to do with my life. I just knew that I wanted to go back to New York. And start Move NYC. And start Move NYC, yes. But Move NYC wasn't a job. It didn't exist. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it was not paying my rent. (laughs) Touche. So I actually got back and people started emailing me this audition flyer for a Gibney company. And I had never heard of it. Um, But the flyer said, we're looking for experienced dancers who are interested in social justice and were actively seeking diversity. And it was a two week contract in New York city with paid vacations and health benefits. So I was like, what is this magical? Wait, wait, wait. wait. It was a two week contract. 52 weeks. 52. What? 52 weeks with paid vacation and benefits. Are you sure you weren't still in Europe at this point? That's what I'm saying. (laughs) So people started sending me the flyer. That shit does not happen in the U.S. It doesn't exist. And it didn't exist. They were literally launching. The company had existed as a project. They were launching the 52-week model as soon as I moved back. to. I mean, it's like crazy. As you said, the universe, God, luck, however you want to call it, serendipity. Always gathered me. So, you know. And so I auditioned. I did a private audition. They hired me on the spot. Um, it was a very small company of six people. Um, and I learned a lot about social justice work. Uh, Gina created a three-part model, which is um, community action, uh, the dancing and performing mm-hmm. aspect. And then each, and this is where Move ties in, and then each of the dancers is tasked with creating a project that addresses a pressing need in the field that they feel passionate about. Hey, so I joined Gibney and I started move through Gibney as my fellowship project. They incubated move for four years until we were ready to fly on our own. Um, and they helped move bolster the success that it has. Gibney also has 23 studios and two locations in Manhattan. So while it was a part of Gibney, we got all of our studio space for free, all of the administrative support for free, all of the videography, photography, performance, tech and production stuff was all free. So we were able to grow very, and we were housed in a 30-year institution with a multi-million dollar uh, budget. So we, we were able to get in rooms that we weren't, wouldn't have been able to get in. At the same time, I was dancing and performing. Um, I went to negotiate my contract for my third year. So I'd done two seasons. And Gina Gibney said to me that she wants to create a world-class dance company. And she wanted me to help her actualize her vision. And she wanted me to be a part of the leadership team. So in my third year, 
I became a director of the company alongside Gina Gibney and Amy Miller. And for the last five years, we've been working towards building that company um, through a pandemic. And I'll say that um, we have doubled the company size, actually more than doubled. We're now 13 incredible dancers. And we just had our debut of the new reimagined Gibney Company at the Joyce Theater in November to seven sold out shows and seven standing ovations. Strong and Jay. We did a thing. Congratulations, my friend, Thank on you. all of it. That Thank is, you. that is again, just level up, level up, level up, level, 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 uh, level up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was a massive project and it's something that I'm really, really proud of. Um, Pulling off that Joyce show, especially with COVID and everything that's been yeah. going on. And I will say that Gina Gibney, we have not had one day of layoff throughout this entire pandemic. She has stayed true to her supporting her dancers and taking care of her company. And we have pushed through. That is beautiful. I just want <laughs> you to know. Okay. It's you say. Well, you know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> So, uh, as a director now, you pretty much have secured that you will be in New York for some time coming. Yes, I I think I've set my roots here, um, and I I think I'm here. How's it feel? How how has it felt to be back? Wonderful. The city embraced me. I know it's hard. Um, Dance is hard. New York is hard. But this is also my home. And I felt from day one that I came back that the city really embraced me yeah. and um, has supported me. I, I love the entrepreneurial spirit of mm-hmm. the United States in that, yes, create something, build something. And there, there's, there's people out there ready and excited about that. So I love the energy. I love that I'm close to my family and friends. Um, I still have that structure. Um, of support with that 52 week contract that I had yeah. in Europe, but I get to have that in my city. So I feel wonderful. Nice. And you know what? You said something earlier, uh, you know, New York, uh, with the words coming up for uh, move, you know, that mm-hmm. little bit of rudeness in NYC. Mm-hmm. You know, East Coasters are not rude. We're straight up. That's all straight it up. is. That's right. It is straight <laughs> up. That's all it is. We. From Philly to New York, Boston, and in between, everything on the East Coast, D.C., Baltimore, listen, we just put it out there. There is no sugarcoating that whatsoever. I'm going to let you know. Mm-hmm. You know what the beautiful thing is as well? It'll be like, you know what, Nigel? I don't like you. Right. But 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 it'll, but it'll go, you want a sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> like, we'll right. be cordial. But it's, it's not. It's it, And it's so funny because people are like, oh, New Yorkers, East Coasters are so rude. No. That's why we all can get along because we know from the from the get go where it's at and we don't have to ask any questions. There's no guesswork. There's no guesswork in it. No one has time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. And I don't got bronchitis either. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, last thing before we go. Uh, Speaking of surprises and guessing. Uh, So, you know, my last name is Gamble. Mm -hmm. And I play off that all the time. So what I did is for specifically for the show, I bought a roulette table. Ooh. Filled with 
16 shot glasses. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay, shot glasses. <laughs> Each shot glass represents a question. Ooh. Each shot glass is numbered, and the numbers okay. on the shot glass represent a question. So I'm going to okay. spin the magic roulette wheel, and then okay. whatever number comes up is a question you have to answer. Got now, it. it's nothing shady. It's nothing <laughs> gossip-tastic or anything like that. They're just fun, okay. stupid questions to ask. <laughs> And okay, then so. normally outside of Corona, if we were together, if you didn't want to do the shot, if you didn't, if you didn't want to do the shot, if you didn't want to do the question, you'd have to do the shot. But then I might God. change that anyway, that you have to do the shot anyway. So because why not just do the shot? Right. You know, because that's what we do. Yeah. I might I might just start making people do shots anyway. I love it. All right. Of course. you do. <laughs> Are you up for it? Let's go for it. Let's go for it. Magic roulette ball, magic roulette hey. table, spin it round and round and round and round it goes. Number 35. Okay, 35. Have we got 35 yet? You know, I just turned 35, November 24th. Yes, I did know that because I wrote to you happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. You (laughs) (laughs) Number 35. Actually, we have had this one before, um, Mm -hmm. and it's a fun one. It's on the house, whatever you want people to know. Ooh. Um, about me? Whatever you I want people to know. love cheese. Have an unhealthy <laughs> oh, relationship with cheese. It's just so wonderful, but it's also the devil. And it's like, I'm really conflicted about it. <laughs> My favorite color is orange. And I love to travel. I love to travel. That's something that I love. I love you. <laughs> I'm mental. Jeez. Is that this was the first thing you thought it was. I'm going to eat some cheese as soon as this is over. I'm going to go get a block of cheese. All right, real quick. Excuse me. Real quick. Speaking of travel, uh, you went on a trip to Bali. What was it? Two, two years ago. Two years ago. And mm-hmm. it was not like a life-changing experience for you, but you thoroughly, it hit you a lot. It was, Bali is powerful. You feel spirit wash over you um, immediately while you're there. And I went to Bali and to Thailand. Uh-huh. And Bali was just like, I don't know, you felt I just you felt it somewhere I went to a temple a water temple too and they like did some ritual and walk I don't know but um (laughs) I really really felt very strongly connected to spirit while I was there and then when I went to Thailand I just tried I was amazed by the natural beauty like the Fifi Islands Mm -hmm. um were just like so strikingly stunning and I worked through some of my own fears. I went um, parasailing for the first time. And what? I was terrified. I know I was terrified and I had been, I did on the last day and I kept saying like, should I do it? Should I do it? And I was just like, just, if this is my time to die, this is my time to die. Go for it. And I went up in the air and I was holding, you know, they strap you in and I was in the air. I was holding on for dear life. And the guy was like, you know, you, you can let go. And I, <laughs> And I let go and it was, it hit me like a life metaphor. Like you're holding on to things that you oh, need. Oh, wow. 
and it's stopping you from being able to fly. And so I let go and I was literally flying over the ocean in Phuket in Thailand. And I had surmounted a, a fear of mine and I overcame it. And that really sums up that whole experience. It was very eat, pray, love. Wow. Beautiful. So I'm glad we got from, I'm glad we actually started with cheese to get to that you like travel to get to the beauty of Bali in Thailand. The cheese is equally as important, okay? <laughs> okay, before we go, if people want to find out more about Nigel Campbell or see what he's doing, how can they find you? Um, I'm on Instagram at, at Nigel Campbell underscore. Um, I'm on Facebook at Nigel Campbell. Um, there's pl- too much information about me everywhere. So <laughs> there's Moon, there's Gibney. Um, but my, for my personal stuff, yeah, Instagram is probably the best place. Instagram, Nigel Campbell underscore. Uh, Facebook, Nigel Campbell. He already said Move NYC. You can find them at movenyc.nyc. Yes. And does Move NYC have an Instagram? Yes, at movenyc. Easy enough. Branding. There we go. <laughs> and then Give Me Dance Company. Just yes. so, see, yes. so follow that progression. The website would be givemedance.org. Mm-hmm. And then the Instagram is give me, uh, at Gibney Company. Give, at Gibney Company. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. That's where you can find Nigel Campbell and all of his uh, digitalizations. And then if you're not doing already, make sure you're following at Gamble's Green Room on Instagram to stay tuned to all of my guests coming up, as well as some behind the scenes features and some lovely merchandise and uh, giveaways coming up soon. Uh, make sure you also stay tuned to gamblesgreenroom.com because we'll be having the web shop there. And then make sure if you're not doing already, you like and subscribe so you stay tuned of every episode release that's coming up. See how I got into my little radio voice there? Gotta, gotta, gotta get a people voice there, you know. Love that. <laughs> Nigel, thank you so much for being here, my love. So great to see you. you after seven freaking years. Crazy, Damn. man. If we're not Crazy. in the 15th wave, hopefully I'll be able to see you in New York soon. All of that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, stay safe out there. Talk to you soon. Yes, bye-bye.